This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prati will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is August 22nd. So far in the market, we've seen it slump 4% in August, kind of a late summer doldrum. Money markets have been very popular over the last six months. Data's come out. They've increased by $749 billion. Um, You know, and yesterday, the Treasury's down a little bit today, but big picture yesterday, it hit 4.35 on Monday. That's the highest level since 2007. Uh, with that, Tim, let's kind of get into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're focused on the same thing I am. You know, it really you watch bond yields here and it is bonds and equities are right now perfectly correlated. You know, when, when the 10 year makes that move up through 430, you see equities sell off hard. And when, when, when bonds start to firm up a little bit and 10 year yields come in a little bit, equities can firm up. So, I mean, it, it kind of is, they're very rarely in the market is there kind of one factor that drives everything. But right now that one factor uh, is the 10 year. Uh, and that has really been so dominant. You know, we're really towards the end of earnings season. Earnings have been, uh, you know, as always, they're better expected. We talk about that game all the time, but you're still down on a year over year basis and revisions are kind of flat to down on a year. So all those trends are about the same. The economy keeps showing stronger uh, and, and corporates are kind of going sideways. So if the earnings level is kind of flat and not really dynamic, it's the multiple that matters. And it's the multiple that is going to be changing. And discount rates matter, right? Higher interest rates should mean lower equity valuations. Um, that's pretty basic stuff. And, and that really is the only thing that matters to markets, at least right now. I'm sure that'll be different next week. And with these higher interest rates, we've definitely seen a big pullback. I don't remember if they're called the Big Seven or the Magnificent Seven, but I mean, you see, Meta is in correction territory, Apple's in correction, Microsoft, Nvidia, Tesla is officially a bear market. They were down twenty percent from recent highs. So right now, the only thing you have that is still in bull market is Amazon and, and Google. Um, but you know, things like Meta have been up. 137 percent this year apart from you know when i pulled the article so you know they're they're correcting on a lot of froth right now yeah but ad spend i mean there has been a a fundamental dynamic to at least google which owns youtube and uh facebook which obviously owns instagram ad spend has been really strong and ad spend on those platforms has been really strong so i don't i'm not saying you can justify the entire move that those names have had uh, but there has been a fundamental story there. Obviously, there's a fundamental story uh, to NVIDIA. Um, they report on Wednesday. And, you know, they, they're a company with all the pricing power in the world right now, right? Their GPUs are in short supply and everybody wants them. Uh, they, can't, they can't produce to what demand is. Uh, so they've got the ultimate pricing power. So the market seems to be excited about NVIDIA earnings. It's like, who cares? Like, what difference does it make? you you got a company that's got... Uh, that's in the catbird seat right now, but you know things change. You know I, I wouldn't want to extrapolate GP, GPU growth out ten years and, and try to put a multiple on Nvidia, but that's kind of what the market uh, has done. But look, 
you've had uh, to the degree that this has been liquidity driven, right? To the degree that we didn't get liquidity coming off the way uh, that market participants thought, it is finally starting to happen. You are starting to see the Fed's balance sheet uh, shrink post uh, the big spike that you had post SVB. And the other thing that you see with liquidity is volatility in bonds is moving up. As this 10 year is breaking down, that is driving volatility higher and vice versa. You know, sometimes the tail wags the dog on that. Um, but that matters to liquidity. Volatility going higher means less leverage. It means, um, it means that uh, everybody takes down risk when volatility goes up and that alone uh, drains liquidity. So that's another factor uh, that is probably, probably having an impact on, on all that incredible momentum and cash that was flowing into those names. You know, you had some days where Microsoft announced that they were introducing some AI chat bot and, you know, they added, I'm going to make up a number, but I think it was $100 billion of market cap in one day. Like that's just, you know, you're still in a frothy market and you know the Fed isn't tight enough yet when you still have days like that. You know, and you, you brought up the point. So there's increased volatility. There has to be an emphasis on fiscal discipline that's resulted in a pullback from ad spends and from, you know, social media marketing and that kind of thing. At what point do these companies start laying off their programmers and engineers or have they already begun? I, I don't really know. Well, you had some small you had some small tech layoffs uh, and labor composition um, matters. You, you have had. Um, um, some some high paying tech layoffs, but it doesn't seem like you've had. It doesn't seem like we know we haven't had massive tech layoffs. You do wonder though if cap spending is going to go lower, if companies' cost of capital is going higher, and it is their ability to grow and to invest on growth because of the higher cap cost of capital goes down, then capex spending should be coming down as well. I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing tech estimates kind of go sideways. There's there's a there's an element of optimism that's still in those um, that that's still in tech guidance. But the fact is is that you haven't seen big slashes across mid uh, and large enterprises um, on on capex budgets. And until then, uh, and that'll happen probably along with when companies decide, all right, I got enough margin pressure because I got too much top line pressure that I got to start cutting people. And I got to start cutting capex. Those two things probably go together. And you know, with, with the tech pullback, this is obviously this, they're intertwined. But we're looking at a situation where the sell-off in Treasuries doesn't seem like it's over yet. Uh, there's definitely some more room. Uh, I was looking at some, you know, forecasters who thought we could see the ten-year at ten percent. I mean, a big part of this has to do with Fitch's downgrade three weeks ago. But there's also a likelihood that China's going to be selling more of the yuan, um, you know, as as we come into Jackson Hole. So, you know, there's a lot of things affecting this market. And what, 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 are, you, yeah. what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you misspoke. They're buying yuan because they're supporting yuan. Oh, right, right. Uh, which yeah. means yeah. that yeah. They, would, yeah. they would be yeah. less likely yeah. buyers yeah. or recyclers yeah. Yeah. of their U.S. debt. But, you know, well, I should that, say China's selling their treasuries. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or just not recycling uh, all of their their, their treasuries, uh, and that's one of the factors. Look, Japan 
uh, as they back away from yield curve control um, or, you know, a little bit, uh, that could repatriate more money there. And just the idea that the, uh, that the JGBs have been the anchor to global bonds. I mean, bonds, bond yields are going up globally. Um, the, 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 it's, it's the treasury where the focus is. And I think part of the focus has come from the fact that Treasury Secretary Yellen has finally said, uh, we're going to issue more on the long term. The Fed has almost exclusively, exclusively been selling debt at the very front end in bills. Uh, and you're borrowing at 5% in bills, you're borrowing at closer to 4% in 10 years. Why not? Uh, why not? And the, the reason is, is because they're not as comfortable with where the demand has come from. You, you pointed out uh, how big um, uh, money market funds are right now. You know, those are easy, those are easy way you can, you can easily sop up that liquidity if you're treasury, if you just want to do bills, because that's what money market funds own. Uh, but if you want to go out on the curve, the, the source of those buyers is a little bit more unclear. Uh, and that is a big part. So it's, it, it's about the buyers backing away, the buyers being the Japanese, the Chinese, and also the Saudis and the oil states. Um, it's about yield curve control. It's about inflation expectations. You know, we're not the only ones out there saying that we think that uh, inflation is going secularly higher because of demographics and deglobalization and all that. We are not at all, at all alone on that. And then you get growth expectations looking a little bit higher. And the idea that maybe the neutral rate is higher than we thought it was. Maybe 5% at, at, on Fed funds isn't as restricted a, a, as we thought it was. So there's a whole bunch of different issues that people are looking at to justify why um, why the ten year keep why ten year yields keep moving up. You know, we got a, a bunch of auctions that will come. We got a lot of liquidity, a lot of uh, bonds coming to market, and it's going to be. I mean, those those auctions are going to get a ton, a ton of attention. Yeah, you know, it's there's definitely seems to be some parallels to the early two thousands, right? We were just talking about cracks and. And tech stocks. Now we're talking about higher interest rates and uh, treasury sell-offs. Uh, but you know, another thing that's interesting. I was just reading an article that ETFs are on track for the first month of outflow since April 2022, and it seems like ETFs have a massive amount of concentration risk. I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but it's like 28 firms over you know eight funds uh, that they have. It was 40. It was like something like they had 40 percent in one of those funds, or it was just a huge, not necessarily majority, but a very large plurality for you know each of their funds. And if a lot of that's exposed to tech and um, things that don't do well in high interest rate you know markets, that, that's going to be wild to look at. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there's a guy named Michael Green who uh, runs an entity called Tier One, um, and he's an old options trader actually, but he's also a very smart macro guy. So he's done a lot of work on some of these kind of new dynamics that are impacting flows. One of them he's written a lot and talked a lot about is one day to expiry options, ODTEs, but also the concentration of so much assets that are not only in ETF, but in passive vehicles, uh, you know, 401k concentrations coming in passively. And he kind of always asks the question to which he doesn't necessarily believe he knows the answer, but 
I don't believe he thinks it's going to be good, is what happens if we get to a point where because of demographics, because of older people with high amounts of assets in their 401ks, if we start to see a weaker economy and we start to see layoffs, and with that, people needing to access their savings, if we actually get to a point where you have outflows from 401k investments, where you have money leaving equities, leaving growth investments, uh, and moving into fixed income investments, what are the implications uh, for equity markets? I, I do think it's worth thinking about when you have so much passive money, when you have so much money where there isn't a human being as a, uh, as a filter to say, wait a minute, maybe this isn't where we want to be selling assets because this looks, um, uh, this looks like a route. Uh, does that increase risk? Is there increased risk for investors that we could have? I lived, I was running a trading firm when the day of the flash crash came. And when you have innovations, when you have, and one of the big innovations that we've had in market structure has been so much in the way of passive flows. Do we necessarily know what happens uh, if you get to a date or you get to a reason, a fundamental driver of, all that money needing to come out of the market. Could you have a, you know, escalator up, elevator down situation, as they say? I think one thing we should kind of end our talking points on is, is Goldman, you know, came out and they said they no longer expect U.S. home prices to decline in 2023. Uh, I just think in light of everything, how is that possible? Uh, you know, that was definitely seemed like a shock to the system based on where valuations are right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, um, you've had such tightness in the existing family home market and the home, one of the things that's happened is the home builders uh, with their rate buy downs have kept prices high, but it's kind of artificial, right? People care more about their monthly payment than the price that they pay for the house. So maybe you can only afford a $500,000 house, but at current rates. But with a rate buy down from the home builder, who's, who's, and by the way, if you look at builder margins, they've come in a lot because of these rate buy downs. You now can artificially sort of afford a $600,000 house because you've got a $500,000 house monthly payment because of the rate. I think that is one of the things that have kept things up. It was actually an interest, interesting study uh, that came out today, I think, that showed that those under 30 that are home buyers, 40% are getting down payment help from their family. Uh, and we've been talking about this. We've kind of known this. We talk about the big generational wealth transfer and how just from an anecdotal perspective, you talk to realtors who are seeing that everywhere in their markets where uh, whether it's in Bozeman or it's in Summit, New Jersey, you see young people buying houses. The only way that's really possible nowadays in most cases is if there is money coming in because affordability is so bad if there is down payment money coming in from families. And I think that has been a really important piece to this puzzle as to we understand why supply has been bad and that's you know existing supply being so low for the obvious reason. But the demand side has been a little less quantifiable. So it was interesting to see that study put some numbers around just how much younger people are reliant on some level of family money in order to actually get into the housing market and think about it, it just creates a greater 
bifurcation in the classes, right? There are those who own assets in a high inflation environment and those who don't. And the only way to keep your head above water in a high inflation environment is to belong uh, these kind of assets like housing. Absolutely. Uh, anything we overlooked this week, Tim? I mean, just, you know, it's, it's become our tradition on this podcast to talk about China at the end. And it, you know, China, we have, I have been making the call and we have talked a lot about um, the real estate market in China, the residential real estate collapse that is happening in China. And you hear more and more, I think we talked about it last week, while the official data is that pricing in various cities is only down uh, 3% or 5%. Uh, and you hear that the reality is that pricing is probably down more like 15 or 20%. Well, if this continues, and I don't see why it wouldn't continue, um, I have to think that there is a really meaningful wealth effect to Chinese consumer spending. You don't really see it yet. Luxury goods players continue to do very well. Uh, the Chinese consumer continues to go to Macau, continues to go on more trips and so on and so forth. So I'm a little surprised that as weak as China residential uh, is, how weak China residential promises to be, that we haven't yet seen that wealth effect. I do think it's coming though, because I don't think that there is a solution. And, the, and, and clearly the central government, the, uh, the PBOC, is not willing to try to have a wave of stimulus to try to bring people back into the housing market. And perhaps it's because they know that they're pushing on a string. Think of the great financial crisis. For years and years and years, people would tell you, you can't lose money investing in a house. Well, that was the same thing in China, but times 10, where you got to, you know, we talk about affordability being bad in the United States. There are cities in China where the average apartment is 20x and 30x annual incomes. That is an insane number. Those numbers have to come down a ton. And if that is 70% of savings is in real estate speculation, I have to think that the wealth effect in China, the housing wealth effect is going to be multiples worse than it was in the United States in 2008 and 2009. Yeah, you bring up the financial crisis. In 2008, the Chinese were highly stimulative. Uh, they dodged a recession in 2008. It was like them and the Australians and not too many places, but they dodged it. Right now, they I got an official GDP estimate of, or I should say a goal of 5.5, but you know, official people think they're going to miss that wildly. So at what point, like you got Xi Jinping, he's posting this as an estimate. This is what we're going for. And then they might hit 5% when they got five and a half estimate, you know, like, I mean, I don't, how does that look for him? How does that look for the, you know, the communist party of China? It's just, it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. The way it looks is bad. Yeah. And so what yeah. do you do? What do autocrats do when they face real economic turmoil at home? They go to nationalism. And the best way to do that is a war. Uh, and that's why I think that the market under discounts the risk that you are going to have a conflict in Taiwan. And you could have a conflict in Taiwan sooner uh, 
uh, then, then, then people believe. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's hopefully it doesn't happen, but there's always going to be a wag the dog effect, right? Uh, especially if you're in a one party country. So, all right. Sounds good. Well, uh, thanks for all our listeners and subscribers. We'll be back next week and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.